All right, all right, here we go. The NBA podcast is back. I'm your host, Sleepy J, joined once again this year by NBA betting expert Mackenzie Rivers. Mackenzie, it was a fantastic NBA podcast season for us last year with the season just a few days away. I know Mackenzie excited uh, based on your tone from last night with our Western Conference preview podcast. So I do have to ask you, Mackenzie, quickly, how are you feeling overall with the Eastern Conference this year? Love it. I am 10.0 again, excitement level, specifically with the Eastern Conference. I've been looking through my pregame plays, and they're all Eastern Conference. I feel very confident about a couple of these teams. Excited to make some money with you guys. All right, well, we're going to go ahead. We're going to break down the Eastern Conference. So let's talk about the pod before we get into this and talk about what we have on the horizon with our NBA podcast for the entire season. This podcast, this is going to be Eastern Conference preview only. Mackenzie and I, we did the Western Conference last night, so you guys could go ahead, check the feed, make sure you guys listen to that. Mackenzie and I, we're going to talk about every team, up, down, neutral. We're going to go ahead, we're going to give out three Eastern Conference teams that we're going to bet a team total over or under on. We do have some surprises for you guys this season. Before we get into that, let's talk about this upcoming Monday. So guys, Tuesday, the season starts. We got Curry versus LeBron and Bede versus Tatum. It's a TNT doubleheader to go ahead and kick off the season. I'm excited for that. Mackenzie and I, we're going to do a Monday podcast. And in that podcast, we're going to go ahead. We're going to preview both of the Tuesday games. And we're also going to give out our season team win total of the year wager. And we're also going to go ahead and give out our division winner prop of the year. Again, that's on Monday's podcast. I could see probably a couple other wagers, maybe MVP, six man of the year, coach of the year. But Mackenzie and I are going to try to not only make you guys some money, we want you guys to make some money yourself. And we went ahead, we developed a contest. Mackenzie, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody what this contest is about and where they're able to find that. Pregame.com, best website in the world, arguably. You want to go to the forum section, and we haven't thought of a name, a catchy name like Friday Fez Bankroll Bet, something like that. That's a catchy name that we got for segment number two. We'll talk about it in a minute. But here's the concept for the Tuesday slash Wednesday segment. On the Tuesday night podcast, we'll talk about the five players we think on Wednesday night's card, we'll score the most points in the NBA. We'll be like, okay, well, I like Curry, Durant, Jalen Green, Nikola Vucevic, and DeRozan, or something like that. We'll pick five players that are playing on Wednesday that we think will have the highest point total. Maybe a couple of them will like to bet over their points prop. And on Wednesday, you join the contest. You join the fun. Go to pregame.com. It's going to be a pin thread on the forum page. Click the thread. And you write out your five players to score the most points. And if you win, congratulations. You'll get bragging rights. You beat not only me in sleep, but everybody else in the contest. And you're going to be awarded $55 of bulk cash, bulk dollars at pregame.com. Spends like cash, never expires. And you can get it for free, free contest. Pick the five players with the highest point total on a weekly basis. And I think it's going to spark some interesting conversation because I want to win sleep. I want to have like three, four weeks in a row where it's just nobody wins but us and the money, if that happens, rolls over. Uh, that's going to be uh, my intention. I think we'll, we'll at least win once, at least once. But I, I could see us maybe taking down, you know, a couple of times and, and, and you, know, you know, pissing these people off. Uh, it'll be fun. But more than anything, you know, it's going to be a learning experience. It's going to keep us locked into, you know, other things besides sides and totals. It's going to keep us locked into the players and, you know, what they're doing. So that's going to be exciting. And we wanted to do that for you guys, at least give you guys a chance you know, to go ahead and be with us and actually win something. And look, you guys are going to be able to get money out of it. You could buy my picks, McKenzie's picks, whoever you want from pregame.com. So it's an easy way for you guys to have a little bit of fun. But then on our Friday podcast, we have a new featured segment, and this is going to be fun. McKenzie, you already mentioned Fezzik. He's going to be a part of this. And this is something that, you know, a lot of people wish that they can find themselves in this particular situation. I'm extremely excited for this. I did not think this was going to happen. Fez went ahead. He green-lighted it. Tell everybody what it's about. I know you're excited for this one, too. Absolutely. The Fezzik Friday bankroll bet. So here's what we're doing. Steve Fezzik, one of the greatest handicappers in the world, he will tell you he's even better as a better, getting the best number, understanding the market. And, hey, he can't be an expert in every sport. That's why he leans on guys like Sleep and myself who specialize, for us, it's the NBA number one focus right now. Hey, we hit 57% over 350 picks last year. That ain't random. That's difficult to do. And Fezzik, 
took me under his wing as a handicapper since I've been here pregame the last three years, and he's appreciative of my success and improvement. And hey, Pesic wants everyone to be successful as long as it's making him money as well. So let's participate in that. This is what, what's going to happen. Friday, Sleep and I are going to agree on one pick for Saturday's card. We're going to send that pick over to Fez. Fez very kindly agreed to bankroll this. He's going to fund it, a $500 bet. He's going to get the greatest number in the world. Looking at all of his 30 outs, he's going to take a screenshot of that bet, whether it be at Westgate or stations or what, however he's going to have to get us down. Take a screenshot of that bet at the best number, and we're going to post that to our Twitter account. You could follow along. We're going to make money together, and Fez is going to make money too. That's why he's funding it. He doesn't put his money up when he doesn't think he's going to make money. So I appreciate the faith he's showing in us. And uh, yeah, let's make money together. The Friday Fez bankroll bet will be a fun feature uh, each and every week on this podcast. I think it's going to be fun, but it's going to be a little intense. No doubt. Sitting there with a $500 wager on the line, wondering if, you know, at the end of the year, if we got to go ahead and, and, you know, fork over our cars over to Fezzik because we ended up losing <laughs> his money. But with that said, you know, let's go ahead. Let's wrap this up and let's let's tell everybody kind of what we're doing here. So we're going to have two main podcasts. It's going to be on Tuesday night and Friday night. They'll be released at night, same as they were last season. But wait, there's more. Mackenzie and I, we wanted to go ahead and share more with you guys this season. And I do have to say this. You guys were really supportive of the podcast last year. The comments on pregame, Twitter, IMs, DMs, you guys were absolutely awesome. Completely motivated Mackenzie and I. And if you aren't subscribed to this podcast, I, I, I don't know what the hell you're doing. So make sure that you do that. Last year, and look, this is documented on pregame.com. As Mackenzie said, 57.1%. Mackenzie and I were plus 104.45 units, and that's pregame verified. That is not easy to do. Over 345 plays. I challenge you guys to find a better duo than, than Mackenzie and I. So as I was saying, Mac and I, uh, we wanted to go ahead. We wanted to do something extra for you guys this season. So here's what we're going to do. On Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Make sure you guys check out our Twitter accounts. That's at SleepyJ underscore pregame and at Mac and Rivers. Mackenzie and I, we're going to do like a quick little 10-minute podcast. Now, one of us, what we're going to do, we're going to try to sell the other person three wagers. And we're going to grade those wagers. And then we're going to buy a pick and say, you know what? That's the pick of the day. And it'll be, you know, a handicap of three games. And, and then we'll, we'll really chop down, you know, on one that we really like. And we'll discuss it. And we'll make sure that we release that to you guys. Now, you guys will be able to get that on our Twitter accounts, on SoundCloud, or for sure, you'll be able to get that in the pregame.com forum. So you guys will hear this spiel again probably on our Monday podcast when we preview the games. But we just want to make sure that everybody knows what we're doing, what's going to be fun, and what the hell's going on with the NBA podcast. But with that said, let's go ahead. Let's dive into the Eastern Conference. I want to go ahead. I want to start it out here with the Atlantic Division. As I said, we're going to give out three team totals that we like. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to start it out here with one that I like, and I'm making this a best bet for this podcast, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers. Current team total right now on these guys, 51 and a half. Their odds to win the title. This is a consensus shop line at 15 to 1. Mackenzie, I'm going to let you have the floor because I know you and I agree with this wager. Why don't you tell me about the 76ers? Why are you so optimistic? You got agreement. You got strong agreement from me. This is one of my three plays over 51 and a half for the Sixers. I think the Atlantic division is a three-team race, and I think the Sixers have the best chance of winning it and the best chance of ending up with the best record. Celtics made the finals last year. Now they have all this turmoil. They have a new coach. We don't know how that's going to work. Remember, it was the new coach, Ime Adoka, last year that turned them around in January. All those stories were written about how their defense is changing, how they were buying in. That was a tumultuous regular season a tumultuous six months to end the way it did with the finals loss and your coach being dismissed. I'm not sure they prioritize the regular season. The Brooklyn Nets, they have many question marks how they're going to gel. They have huge injury question marks. The Phyllis 76ers, I know Joel Embiid misses 20 games a year. Even without him playing 80 games, have the deepest, most consistent team, and they're going to be motivated because they were embarrassed last year. They've been embarrassed in this whole process not making it to the conference finals since the Allen Iverson days. I think they want to be the number one seed. I think Doc Rivers is very much coaching for his job. And I think they have the deepest team in the East, which is very important for the regular season, more so than in the playoffs, where you're going to shorten your rotation in the playoffs, play your best eight guys. And the regular season is totally different. Ten guys that can play like the Sixers have is going to be very important. And 
One of the reasons that got me on this pick was the game one line. Tuesday night opening game, the Boston Celtics hosting the Sixers. When the book when the books first put this game up, it was six points for the Celtics. They were saying, okay, home court advantage. I think it's more like two. In the playoffs, it's more price like three. I think early in the season, the market is going to be taking their cue from the last NBA games that were played and pricing a little high at three. But let's just call it three to be simple. The market was saying the Celtics are three points better than the Sixers. Check today. Go to go to Westgate, go to FanDuel. What's the what's the line right now? Two and a half or three? Pretty much home court advantage. The market is saying right now the Sixers are as good as the Celtics, who, by the way, have the highest win total of any team in the league. I'm taking a cue from that market, which is a very liquid market, and I think the win total should be about equal. These are equal teams. I think the Sixers have more motivation, so over 51 and a half is a play for me. All right. Well, I'm with you 100%. I think the 76ers total is basically set where it was last year. I mean, this team had 51 wins. It's at 51 and a half. I think the addition of Harden last year in the middle of the season kind of gave that Philly team maybe a little bit of a hiccup. I don't believe it will this season. I see Seth Curry and Danny Green are not on the roster. I think that actually helps this team. And this offense is going to be pretty much run with Harden, Maxi, and Beat. I could, I could see that being like their core three. Tobias Harris kind of doing what he does and P.J. Tucker you know, he's going to be inserted here, but it's not like they're asking him to do anything special. Just go out there and play defense, you know, be a glue guy. Just go out there and do your job every night, cause havoc, you know, get in people's faces, you know, get gritty. Just have that that gritty feel that Philly generally has. But I see Philly hitting the ground running this season and Harden being more important to this offense. The 76ers, they have the consensus 13th easiest schedule in the league. So slightly above average in that department. I do like Philly. I'm with you, McKenzie. I think that they're looking to really make a push this year with this particular team. Like, I think that this is the team they have to go all in. They have to win it this year. Otherwise, who knows what this team looks like in a year or two. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to make that bet with you there, Mackenzie. I'm playing Philadelphia best bet season win total over 51 and a half. All right, so with the Philadelphia 76ers out of the way, let's jump over to the New York Knicks. Current team total with these guys, 39 and a half odds to win the title. 125 to 1. I can't bet this team to win the title, the division, or probably their team total over, but I think I can probably bet on them in a game to game basis. Jalen Brunson addition, I think that's going to be key here for the New York Knicks. And this is a team, I think they have the makeup to win probably a bunch of games, and I think that they will beat some good teams this year. How fast that happens is going to be a little bit of a mystery, but defensively, I really like the Knicks, and I kind of like their depth. I don't have anything against that. But here's what I want to do with New York. I need to watch this team as soon as the season starts. I need to watch them for you know a number of games, and I need to find a clear answer very early on who this team exactly is. I think the Knicks the last few years have really been hard to go ahead and, and say that this is who they are, this is what they are. Um, I, I get it. Like Tibbs was there. It was a defensive team where they were just, you know, they were they were – uh, being hammered on every night and, and being grounded down by the coach. But I have to watch this team closely because I think that there's a chance that they could surprise that they can go over their win total and make the playoffs. I think the trade deadline could be uh, surprising for this team. They they do have some cap room. It is certainly favorable in their favor. So the Knicks are a team that I have to watch, and I think that they could be pesky. But it's a team I'm watching early to see who they are, what they're playing like, and what Brunson does for this team and maybe I can catch some early season winners with them. So for me, it's optimism with the Knicks. That's where I'm at with them, Mackenzie. How about you? I think this number is pretty much right. I'm pretty neutral on the Knicks. And looking back at their history, Tom Thibodeau comes 2020-2021, and they win 41 games. They make the playoffs for the first time in a decade. I didn't realize until looking back now how much of an upset that was. They're over under that season. Tibbs' first season was 21 and a half. They went 20 games over mm-hmm. with Derrick Rose playing out of his mind and Julius Randle looking like the most improved player. And then they came back to earth last year. They had a over-under 41 and a half. They won 37 games. It seemed like they did everything to clear space for Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson to be the backcourt of the future. That didn't happen. So it's going to put a lot of onus on R.J. Barrett, who's only 22 years old. It's shocking to me that he's been in the league three years just turned 22, major improvement towards the end of last year. I was on a podcast, uh, Outkick Bets, 
with Jeff Clark, sharp NBA guy, a guy I want to bring on to this podcast and chop it up with you guys. He made an interesting wager. He said RJ Barrett 20 to 1 to be most improved player. I think that gets at the crux of the question with the Knicks. Are they the team that was over under 21 from two years ago with a couple misses at big free agents? Or are they a team with an up-and-coming superstar in R.J. Barrett? That's a big gap. I would tend to think they're more like a more likely to go under slightly, but if they go over, it's going to be because R.J. Barrett popped at 22, in which case his most improved odds are probably going to be a lot better than 20 to 1. So smart flyer there from Jeff Clark. I like that play. I think you have a chance where Barrett pops and Brunson pops together. I don't think R.J. Barrett has the type of game that, that just throws a wrench into a team offensively or defensively. He knows what he needed to do over the last couple of years because there have been a lot of different players there trying to run that offense. And I feel like Brunson will be able to step in. He's popping. Barrett's popping right now. And they're going to work rather well together. So that's where a lot of my optimism comes from is I see some some guys on that team you know, taking that next step. Let's talk about the Raptors. I'm not sure what to do with this team, McKenzie. This team's confusing the shit out of me. So we have the Raptors, their team total 46 and a half, 45 to one to go ahead and win the title. I feel like this is too many Chiefs and not enough Indians. I think that that's the demise of this team. They're talented one through five. I'll give them that. But I didn't see enough team basketball for me last season with this roster. And it's hard for me to go ahead and take this team serious as a contender. Pesky for sure, maybe a little bit underrated. I think this is like a game-by-game game type of team that we want to look at. I think I'm just going to pick my spots with the Raptors. I'm not going to get involved with them in any of the future markets. I think they're okay. I think they're a good team. I don't know about 46 wins. I don't think they're winning anything with this roster. It's just too many Chiefs, not enough Indians. That's where I'm at with them right now. How are you feeling on the Raptors, Mac? I kind of have similar sentiments. I do believe in Nick Nurse. I think he's the best coach, maybe with Spolstra in the NBA, but roster construction-wise, Pascal Siakam, a guy that Kendrick Perkins once called a top 10 NBA player, I I don't know if he's he's the right fit here, because I still think Fred Van Vliet is the better player. Uh, One of the stats I look at, dunks and threes, has an all-in-one metric, EPM, estimated plus minus. Van Vliet was a plus floor, Siakam was a plus two. That's kind of how I feel about them, where Van Vliet's one of the best guards in the league, top 30 player in my opinion, you know, better than a lot of people expect. And Siakam is not. He's he's a more like a top 50 player. He uh, does everything, but he doesn't do anything particularly well. So just the top two players, I'm bullish on Fred Van Vliet. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves, but I'm also kind of skeptical with how much love Siakam gets as an all-around player. That moves me on to player number three, Scotty Barnes, who got a lot of love. Rookie of the year, 20 years old, very impressive. Let's go back to dunks and threes. He was an average player last year, which, by the way, is not easy to do as a rookie playing heavy minutes. Usually, they're going to be a negative, at least on defense. He wasn't a negative defense. He was about average on offense, average on defense. Uh, he should be the forward that leads this team to their next step. He should take the place of Pascal Siakam. I'm not sure if Siakam's going to let that happen. You know, Being in the prime of his career versus a 20-year-old, I'm not sure if he's going to buy in. He's still young in his superstardom. You know, he just kind of popped most improved player a couple of years ago. Now I think he needs to be most deproved player, if that makes any sense. He's got to take a step back because I don't think, if you look at his shooting, it's going to win round after round in the playoffs. Scotty Barnes, who knows? Maybe. And that's that's the lottery ticket I think they should scratch. We'll see what happens. Do you think there's any chance, Mac, that this is a team that's involved in the trade deadline? Because I think there's a lot of pieces yes. that people could pick from this team. And I wouldn't be shocked if this team... I don't want to say they blow up, but they look to make, you know, a move in the trade deadline to where it's like, hey, next season, you know, or, or the year after, like, we're going to be really good. I could see this team getting really involved in, and this team being involved in some trades, maybe. Yeah, because like I'm saying, the timeline doesn't really make sense with Van Vliet and Siakam being, uh, you know, towards the end of their primes and Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, who, by the way, wanted to be traded reportedly at the end of last season and Scotty Barnes. It would kind of make more sense if they picked one of those two groups, uh, whether they want to win now or more likely, in my opinion, uh, kind of take a step back, one step back to take two steps forward. So Siakam for, I don't know, Desmond Bain, that makes a lot of sense to me. Something like that. Could be interesting. I, I My biggest concern with this team is there's too many guys on the team that want to shoot the ball. And when like Anunobi, who a guy who has not shot, you know, over – 
I don't know, the guy hasn't shot a ton. Now, all of a sudden, like last year, he's like, he's trying to fill it up, and it's Siakam doing his thing, and Van Fleet feels like he's not getting enough touches, and Gary Trent's out there gunning away. It's like, there's just, they don't have a whole, I mean, they have players out there to win games, but it's like, they they have to have some type of a system, and I feel like they, they're just not a system type of team. So, we'll see. That should be an interesting team. Let's go ahead and let's throw it over to the Eastern Conference champions, and that would be the Boston Celtics, as McKenzie said, will be watching them on Tuesday night, 6-1 to one to win the title, 54.5 and a half for their season win total. Mackenzie, I'll go ahead. I'll let you start out with Boston. How are you feeling about them going into the new year? I said during last year's finals that the Warriors had an experience edge that was showing up, but power ratings-wise, what they did defensively to the Warriors not named Steph Curry, I might have actually upgraded them slightly from the finals. I definitely upgraded them from Malcolm Brogdon because – for getting Malcolm Brogdon, because what was their big weakness? They really didn't have a point guard that could score. Marcus Smart does a lot of things well, top 50 player maybe, not a point guard. Malcolm Brogdon's going to come off the bench, but he's going to bring that scoring punch when Tatum it doesn't have it going or when Brown doesn't have it going. It really dried up quickly when those two guys didn't have it going last year. I think Brogdon's a smart answer for them. That said, I'm not betting the over. I'm not betting on this team that two things just went through one of the most arduous playoffs you can imagine were two different seven round series and then the finals against, you know, a dynasty. So Jason Tatum played the Olympics in 2020. He went deep in the playoffs every single year. Uh, Shout out to AJ Hoffman. He grabbed this stat uh, this spring. Nobody's played more minutes over the last, I think four years than Jason Tatum by a lot. And now how much is he, how many games is he going to play this year? I would say probably not 82. If I'm if I'm the Celtics GM, if I'm Brad Stevens, I'm probably making it a priority that he doesn't play 82. They haven't been in the past, but I feel like this is a load management team more now than ever. So 54 and a half, I think power ratings wise, they're they're over, but they have they have reasons why this goes under. So that's why I lean. I don't want to contradict your play, but my issue with the Celtics this year is the same issue that I had with them last year. And you, in my opinion, you have to have a real point guard. And he's got to go out there and do real point guard things in order to go ahead and win a title in this league. And Marcus Smart, you know, give him credit, great defensive player, but not the point guard that I want running my offense. And you mentioned Brogdon. I think Brogdon can help. But the issue with that guy is can he stay healthy for an entire season? I haven't seen it in a long time, and I don't know if he can play, you know, in the Eastern Conference with these physical teams and go ahead and get through um, healthy. I mean, he didn't show that he could do that you know, in Indiana. Look, Boston's really good, but to win the title, I think you need to be great. And I, I didn't see it last year, and I, I just don't see it again this year with this team. I'd be more inclined to probably fade this team throughout the early season because I do think that they are being overpriced already in the futures market. And the end-all, be-all for me is the coaching disaster right now with the Celtics. I think that is going to be in a, a distraction all season long, and that key piece took a massive hit. And in order for you to improve, you need to improve. You can't have things that are going to hamper you. I, I don't believe you could lose your head coach, especially with the situation that he's in, and just go right back into you know a well-oiled running machine. And you have to wonder about the psyche of the Celtics. They played a team at home, and they got blasted, and they lost the title. So I'm worried about the Celtics overall, but they are a good basketball team. They could easily win 55, maybe even 60 games if that team gets hot. But I'm kind of with McKenzie. I don't think they're going to push Tatum all year long. So I would be very careful, you know, looking at the Celtics team total over. So that's where I'm at with Boston overall. McKenzie, talk about the coaching, though, because that to me is going to be something that that just might linger with this team and hang on their heads all year long. How are you feeling about the coaching situation with Boston? In the NBA, I think coaching definitely matters. I'm not sure how much it matters on a game-to-game, adjustment-to-adjustment basis. And the example I always go back to is the best regular season team ever. 15-16 Warriors lost Steve Kerr to a back ailment that kept him out for months, and they went like 39-2 and with Luke Walton. I don't think Luke Walton's a great coach. I think he's kind of proven to be less than a great coach with the Lakers and with the Kings later on. But what they had was a system and a belief and a philosophy coming off that 2015 championship where Luke Walton literally had to roll the ball out. He had to say, good job, guys. He had to pat the right guys on the butt, and he had to keep it moving. 
The Celtics don't have that same era of good feelings having lost a championship, but I don't think on a game-to-game basis not having Adoka is going to hurt them that much because they still have all of his lessons, all of his philosophy. Uh, the assistant coach is still there. He's going to be preaching the same things. So I don't think they're going to miss anything from a game-to-game basis. I do think uh, the system that he has installed will, will keep this team one of the best defensive teams in the league and a team that's going to win 55 games. Or they're going to be a team that should win 55 games, but Jalen Brown misses a month and Jason Tatum misses six weeks and they win 45 games. Either way, talent-wise, power ratings-wise, I still think they're one of the best teams in the league. All right, well, let's go ahead and let's talk about one of the teams that I do want to play uh, over their season win total, and this is going to be one of my team total best bets. I'm playing the Brooklyn Nets over 50 and a half wins. So that's where I'm at with this team right now. Eight to one to win the title. If you guys want some chalk, I'll go ahead. I'll give you some chalk. Nets over 50 and a half wins for me, my best bet. Mac, here's my thinking with Brooklyn. Has KD really ever been able to be himself since he's moved to Brooklyn? I feel like it's been just a lot of movement with him and players on the team. You got Kyrie sitting out, the whole COVID situation. You know, Kyrie turns into this head case, Harden takes off, and the Nets really just, they just never really got it going. And then Ben Simmons comes in, he sits out, you know, Brooklyn plays tough, you know, they they, they almost beat Giannis, but, you know, this team to me, they just, they just never really demonstrated, you know, really being a, a full roster team that really had any type of a, really any type of an identity. You know, and if they did, I think it was an identity that was bad for the most part. And like I said in the past, and I'll say it again, I like Kyrie Irving. I think he'll be offering less headaches, you know, with him this year. I think that he shows up, suits up nightly and does his thing. Simmons, I think he's going to be huge for this team in the distribution and defensive department. Joe Harris will probably be back at some point here. And I could see him bombing away from the outside. And the center spot is pretty much Nick Claxton's, I think, to lose. I like the depth with Patty Mills, Seth Curry. They bring in Royce O'Neal for defense, TJ Warren. Who knows what you'll get from him if he can stay healthy. Cam Thomas will add some firepower, and then you bring in a vet like uh, Markeith Morris. Overall, I like this Nets team more than I've actually liked the Nets teams the last two years, and that might seem crazy to say, but I think it's a fresh slate, and it's it, they got to get rid of that sour taste that's in their mouth, and they got to do it really quick. And I think that they want to prove the doubters wrong, silence the media, and believe it or not, I think Brooklyn is actually going to, kind of just go out there and do their thing nightly and go off quietly into the night and just rattle off a bunch of wins. I think this team's dangerous. I think they're certainly a contender. I have them either the number one or number two team right now uh, finishing the East. I think they win 54-plus games with little effort from this particular team. I like Brooklyn a lot this year. Some people were going all in on this team in the first year or two. It didn't pan out. Now nobody probably wants Brooklyn. I'll take them now. I'll go ahead. I'll give them out. Season win total best bet over 50 and a half. Mac, are you as optimistic as I am with the Brooklyn Nets this year? Maybe not quite as optimistic. The injury issues that Kevin Durant has faced has uh, persisted. That said, I think this is very similar to the Clippers situation where the narrative is, wow, what a failure. Look at these four years together. They haven't done anything. And again, it hasn't been four years. First year, Kevin Durant didn't play a lick. Second year, when they added James Harden and both of those guys were out there with Kevin Durant, It was literally the best offense we've ever seen. I think they win that 2021 series versus the Bucs in five games, maybe. Had they stayed healthy, they didn't. And the next year, COVID, inner turmoil. Yeah, you said it. They never really got their foot in the ground. I still think Kevin Durant's the best player in the world. I mean, maybe Steph Curry. Like, I I still have him right there with Giannis and with all those guys. Uh, Let's look at the last 11 playoff games that Kevin Durant played and make our assessments because a lot of people said you got swept in the first round of the playoffs and they said okay well you can't be a top five player ESPN ranked him eighth it it uh it hurt my feelings honestly for ranking LeBron James number one for a decade if he'd lose he could not make the playoffs he was number one the next year every single year Kevin Durant now I think most people would call him the best player in the world gets swept in the in the playoffs by probably the best defensive team especially against wings we've seen in the last five years and now we're saying he's not a top five player doesn't seem fair to me let's like I said let's look at the last 11 games that he played because he played one of the best defenses against the Celtics and got swept fair bad shooting never got going Jason Tatum outplayed him 
he outplayed Giannis in the previous series, the previous seven games. Any metric you want to look at. He put up one of the best performances we've ever seen in game five of that series. 49 points, 10 rebounds, I think seven assists. Nobody's put that many points, rebounds, and assists in the playoff game, ever. Hakeem got close, I think. And no one else ever surpassed that. So I think we probably made too much of one series with the Bucs and saying, okay, Kevin Durant's clearly the best player in the world. I think we're doing the same thing with this Celtics series. He's somewhere in between. Over those last 11 games, you take an average. He's right there as one of the best players in the world. I haven't dinged him. He's still only 34. Uh, you know, LeBron James got better at 34, 35, 36. I think with modern technology, it wouldn't shock me. And I'll just say quickly, Kyrie Irving, underappreciated. Underappreciated. Estimated plus minus dunks in three stat. He was a plus six. That was top seven in the NBA. CBS ranked him 31st. ESPN ranked him as the 33rd best player in the NBA. If he's healthy, if he's out there, he's a top 20 player. He hasn't been priced like that or at least considered that. So that that's where the value is on the Nets. I, I think Kevin Durant has been written off. I think Kyrie Irving's been written off. By the way, you know who's looked decent in this preseason? Ben Simmons. Not because he can shoot, not because... He's going to bring any offensive firepower, but he's going to be Draymond Green. He's going to do everything else. He's going to be the best athlete on the court, best defensive player on the court, and he's going to be the glue, great passer in between Joe Harris and Durant and all their other shooters, Irving. So I think it, I think it makes sense, and we never saw it. This is It's not like I'm saying they're going to be better than what we've seen. We've never seen this team together. Simmons was traded for Harden. When, when they had the big three together, they were the best offense we've ever seen, ever seen. Now I think they're going to be slightly worse on offense, but much better on defense. Still one of the best teams in the institution. The only reason I'm not going over with you is because Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant seem to get hurt every year. So I will likely play them on a game-to-game basis, but that's why I got to stay off the season-long bet. All right, good stuff from Mac on the Atlantic Division. Let's just go ahead and shift over to the Central. Mac, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to start out here with your hometown Chicago Bulls. 80-1 to one to win the title. 42.5 for a season win. I'll go ahead. I'll start out with these guys. I do see a slight regression from a year ago. 46 wins last year. Total seems dead on right now at 42 and a half. It's tough for me to go ahead and play them under or over. I guess I'd have to be convinced to go left or right with this team. So I'm going to let you go ahead and try to convince me, hoping to give me some type of uh, solid answer on what to do with Chicago. I like the way you laid that out because I think this is exactly why this is a great opportunity to bet under. This is my best bet or one of my three best bets on the podcast, Bulls under 42 and a half. You mentioned you expect some regression from this Bulls team. That makes sense. After January last year, they weren't a playoff team. They were one of the worst teams in the league, losing by five points per game. In fact, if you look at the entire season, they had a negative scoring margin. So I would argue, yeah, I expect regression, but I expect a regression from a team that if you look at their metrics, only should have won 41 games last year. So I think if DeRozan is probably aging out of his prime, Vucevic hasn't been the same guy that used to make all-star teams. Levine's already been paid. I'm expecting slight regression, but not from 46 wins where they actually got, but from what where they should have gotten, which is 41 wins. You take four wins off that number, which is, I think, their regression. Now you're looking at over under 37. That's a huge opportunity, I think, where they the market is saying big market, flashy players, MVP candidates, dunk champions, everything that the layman wants to bet, especially my homies back in Chicago, they like bit betting on their team, back in their team, going to the United Center and rooting for a win. I think that exuberance, that hype, is completely unwarranted for this team. After Lonzo Ball went down in January, the Bulls were terrible. Not just bad, terrible. Wouldn't have made the playoffs with that performance. By the way, Lonzo Ball was supposed to be back start of this season. He can't even train right now. They're having knee problems that some doctors say they have never seen before. Sham says it's unlikely he plays in the first couple months. I'm going to tell you right now, it's unlikely he plays this season. He has serious issues that I feel bad for the for the player, but I want to make money on his misfortune. And again, after he left, he was the glue. He was the stopper that could connect DeRozan and Levine and let them each eat, but also guard the other team's best player. They went from an average defense to the worst defense in the league with him out, and he's not coming back. So yeah, they're going to regress. And they're going to regress from already exceeding what they should have won last year. So this is a 37-win team, 38-win team, number nine in the East, but not much better than that. This is a bet for me under 42 and a half. All right. Well, there you guys go. There's another best bet.
from McKenzie. He knows his team. He knows the Chicago Bulls. So I'm pretty convinced there, Mac. He convinced me with that handicap. See if we can go ahead and do something with this next team. I'm not sure what this team's going to look like this year outside of bad. And that's the Indiana Pacers. They're 1,001 to go ahead and win the title. Team total at 23.5. I'd be more inclined to actually look at the Pacers under. I think that this is a team that could seriously end up tanking this entire year. Uh, I wouldn't mind having a ticket on them under 23.5 in my pocket, knowing that you know this team could end up getting wrecked nightly. They have so many holes that they have to fill, and it looks to me like they're going to end up filling it through the draft and probably the draft only. It, it's a complete total rebuild. Under season wins, it just feels right, and I actually might end up doing that. I would like to have an under 23.5 Pacers ticket in my pocket. I think this team's bad. They're going to challenge for the worst record in the league, and it would not be shocked you know, after 20, 25 games that this team is still sitting with just a couple wins. So for me, it's the Pacers under. I'm not going to make that a best bet, but there is nothing that I like about this team, absolutely, except that there is a future for them. So that's where I'm at with Indiana there, Mac. How about you? I'm going to lean the other way. I think the Pacers' win total opened up 25 and a half. Now 23 and a half. I think the pessimism has uh, exceeded what's warranted here. Last year, after Miles Turner went down, they were trying to trade him the entire time he went down, the entire second half of the season. Into the summer, I was expecting, everyone was expecting Miles Turner to be traded. That said, they really missed him. They really didn't have any kind of replacement. So the Pacers, when Turner played their defensive center, were 15 and 27 last year. That's not great. But it's a 30-win pace. Without Turner, they went 10-30, and 30, a 20-win pace. Either one of two things is going to happen, in my opinion. Either Turner is going to come back and they're going to have some defensive power, some defensive force, because they were decent offense and one of the worst defenses in the league last year. Or, I think more likely, some point very early in the season, there's going to be a trade that makes sense for both sides. And I think they're going to get something that helps them now. Because Rick Carlisle, throughout his history, the new coach of the Pacers, has never been a tank guy. Last year, it wasn't really that they were tanking as much as they were prioritizing offense. They brought in Buddy Heald. They brought in Halle Burton. They were playing the fastest pace in the league. They didn't really care about defense. I think that was the precursor to how Carlisle wants to play. But now I think he's going to add in the defense, add in the actually caring about winning. He's going to build that way. So I think Pacers were about as bad as they could be last year. I think they're going to be better this year. Only reason I'm not on the over is because I'm not sure that Turner trade, which I think is going to happen, uh, is going to fit seamlessly. And if it does start bad, there's a lot of incentive for anyone in the league to tank this year because the best prospect, we talked about this on our last podcast, best prospect anyone can remember, Victor Wenbayama, the 7-8 or something, three-point specialist, yeah, he's, he's quite a carrot out there, and although it's not in his DNA, if they start off badly, I think Carlisle might be uh, might have his arm twisted into tanking. For that reason, I'm off of it, but I do lean to the over for the Pacers. Yeah, I don't think Miles Turner is going to last with this team. I th- I'm surprised that he didn't go last year, and like I said, I think it's going to be a team that's built through the draft and draft only, and I wouldn't be shocked if they try to you know wrangle up a couple picks and, and really make a push you know, in like two years. So um, we're on opposite sides on that one, which is a good thing. But um, I do think Miles Turner is going to find employment elsewhere at some point this season. Let's go. Let's throw it over to a team that looks like they're going to be improved a little bit. And that's the Cleveland Cavaliers. They have title odds right now at 30 to one season win total at 47 and a half. Mac, I like the starting five of this team quite a bit, but the bench I'm, I'm not really enamored with this team. They have to stay healthy, but I'm strongly considering this team to go ahead and win the Central Division uh, at plus 350. I think that they clearly are the second best team in this division, but let's just say they get into, you know, like a seven-game series against the Bucks. I don't think the Bucks are a lock to actually beat this team. The Bucks might actually look for, you know, like a long game this season and, and really not pushing Giannis all season long if – he just so happens to go ahead and miss a, a good bit of time. I, I I think I would love my Cavaliers, you know, to win the division. So that's kind of where I'm at with the Cavs. I know it's going to be it's going to be a little little foggy for a little bit, but I mean they they got the team and they they have the bodies. They have the starting five. It's just the depth that worries me. Could you stamp a, a Cavs to go ahead and win the Central Division for me at plus three fifty or no? 
Yeah, and it has to do with the fact that I'm pessimistic on the Bucks really prioritizing the regular season. And let's talk about the starting five. Last year, the Cavs had a lot of injuries, really had really were tested, uh, bringing in different people to play point guard. Now, if that doesn't happen, I think this is probably maybe the best starting five in the NBA, right there with the Sixers or the Suns or the Warriors. They have four all-stars in their primes, you know, ascending. Donovan Mitchell is the oldest of the bunch, the most veteran of the bunch. He just turned 26. So I'm very optimistic on this team. I think they uh, buy in. Doc Rivers said the Cavs are an example of a rare team that's both young and buys in. There's not a lot of me. I mean, Darius Garland could be like a John Morant type figure, the talisman of a team. He hasn't really adopted that role. He'd rather more share the spotlight with Jared Allen, share the spotlight with Evan Mobley. Probably should have won Rookie of the Year last year. I feel like Donovan Mitchell wants to join that. I feel like Donovan Mitchell... Uh, has had plenty of times where he's the number one guy, number one option. And I think he'd rather be on a team, a real unit. Like the Timberwolves, they're going to go all in on the regular season. They're going to show something to their fans. They're going to be a fun, exciting storyline and team. And I think the Bucks probably uh, have less motivation early. That said, that was the same case we saw last year with the Bulls and the Bucks. And the Bulls did start off the season on fire. And they did have a lot of momentum. And their fans were really into it. But the Bucs were just a lot better, and that ended up bearing out. I don't think the talent gap is that big between the Bucs and the Cavs. So I do think that extra motivation might make it an interesting race here in the Central. All right, so plus 350 sounds pretty good. I'm kind of digging that, and I like your handicap with that. Now, I talked to one of my buddies. He's an NBA guy. He loves betting the NBA, pretty good at it. And he came over, and he said, you want me to give you my dark horse team in the East? And I'm like, sure. I'm like, you know, what, what screwball team are you going to tell me about? He said the Cavs, and I'm like, okay. And he was like, not only do I think that they're going to be a dark horse team, he said, I think they're going to end up holding the best record in the East first or second for a long period of time. I started to think about it. I'm like, you know what? I could actually see that happening, like this team going well over their total, you know, winning like 54 games, something like that, and being like a one, two, three seed potentially, you know, in the East. I don't think that that's asking this team, especially with that roster, you know, too much. So I do lean over, but man, I love that 350. I think that that's, that's a wager that I have to make. Let's jump over to our next team here in the Central Division. That's going to go ahead and be the Detroit Pistons, 700 to 1 to win the title, 29 and a half for a season win. I'd love to go ahead and dive in on this team, but a five and a half game adjustment from the final record last year has me a little bit timid. Pistons were terrible on the road, they were terrible at home, but. I don't know, man. It's like, how long could you get smacked around before you end up punching somebody back? And I think the Pistons, I think they do punch back here. And with Kate Cunningham running the ship, I do like Detroit to vastly improve this year. I think Jaden Ivey is very good. And the addition of Bogdanovich gives the, the it just gives the Pistons an outside threat and veteran leadership that they haven't had for a while. I'm not in love with the depth with this team, but it is a bunch of guys that have just been there for a while. They kind of know their role. They know what their job is. So I do lean strongly to the Pistons over. I think this team will probably end up being undervalued to start the year, especially in the eyes of the public, because as Detroit, they've done nothing. But I th- I'm a little optimistic with Detroit. I kind of like what they're doing and what they're building. And I think that they they moved on some players you know, off the team that uh, I don't want to say were hurting them, but it was just uh, they just didn't have that right fit. And I think that these this new roster um, has, a, has a better look, a better feel, a better fit. And Cade Cunningham is probably going to you know, turn into – an all-star player this year. I mean, that's that's kind of what I think. He missed 16 games last year. I think he played like 64 games total. So that had me thinking maybe over on this team. So that's where I'm at with Detroit right now, Mac. A little bit optimistic with this team. I kind of like what they're doing right now. So that's where I'm at with that team. This team's going to go as far as Cade Cunningham takes them. I think there's a lot of optimism to be had. You mentioned the injury gap. Uh, very rare for a player to be plus value to a team. After he came back from injury in February, Again, dunks in threes, estimated plus minus. He was about a negative four. He's about hurting his team by about four points per game. By the way, that's not very uncommon for a rookie point guard at 21 years old that's given all the responsibility. By March, he was a plus one. He had made a huge, huge improvement, and that's a five-game rolling average I'm talking about. If he continues that trend line at 21 years old, I think he can be a top 10 player in the NBA within, I don't know, three years. He has all of the tools. Everything you say about the Pistons, I tend to agree with. I do think they're a team that came on in the second half of the season. They got tired of being punched in the mouth. 
They covered 15 out of 16 first halves after the All-Star break last year. That says coaching is on point, and that says the players are, are buying in. They're eager uh, each and every game. That said, at 29 and a half, they are firmly in that range where they probably will have incentive to lose towards the end of la- towards the end of next season because it's it's kind of like a vacuum where if you're the worst team in the league, obviously you're going to have a good lottery odds. But if you're the 10th team in your conference, it'd be probably more advantageous to be 11th, to just fall out a little bit and get into that lottery. Because the way the lottery odds have flattened out, you have a decent chance, if you have the 11th worst record, to get into that lottery. I feel like the Pistons are going to be in that range. I don't think the players or the coach at this point are thinking that way. But I do think the organizational pressure will be there come March, come the end of the season. So optimistic on Cade, I think he's an exciting player. Optimistic on the team, I think they're a bet on team early, but I can't touch that win total. I think the only thing that that really gives me optimism with that team is that we've expanded the playoffs, right? Like now we have the play-in. And they're trying to encourage like these, you know, these bad teams to go ahead and, and be, you know, fighting around that mark and sniffing around that, that you know, that play-in. And I feel like Detroit is kind of like right there. Like they could either pick, we're either going to ratchet it up or we're going to turn it down. And with this team, the way that they played at least the second half of the season, as you mentioned, I just feel like maybe it's like, let's just let's just go for it and see what happens with, with us. Because how long are you going to end up tanking and, and looking like crap and getting beat up? So I don't know. That's just kind of where I was at with that team. Kind of dig them. Let's go ahead and let's finish off the Central here with the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee Bucks 7-1 to win the title, season win total 52.5. Here's another best bet I'm going to give you. This will be my third and final for the podcast. I'm really strong on the Bucks under 52.5 wins. Like I said a big a bit ago, I think the Bucks stopped this regular season type thinking and start thinking long game. I can see load management being the thing with this team and getting to the playoffs is goal number one and getting there with gas in the tank and a healthy team has to be paramount for the Bucks this season. Look, there's a championship team, won a title. They got an MVP on the roster. But I've worried in the past that they've pushed Giannis too much, and this is a season where the end game is more important than the regular season. You don't win any awards during the regular season. They easily go under. I see an improved Brooklyn team, an improved Philly team. Maybe the Raptors put in a scare. Boston's going to be good. Miami, like, it's just a lot of teams that are going to give the Bucs some, some, some struggles. And I do wonder if they figured out slightly better how to go ahead and deal with Giannis and and this particular team. So it's under for me. I like that. This is one of my stronger picks of the year. So I don't know if you stamped that one there, Mac, but I'm just not feeling the Bucs during the regular season. And to be honest with you, I don't think they even care. I think the Bucs, if they're healthy and happy and and they're doing their thing, they have no problem going into Brooklyn or going into Philly and playing them there. They don't have to be the number one seed this year. So – under bucks for me, best bet under 52 and a half. That's what I got, Mac. What do you think? I'm looking in the same direction for all the same reasons. This team doesn't have any motivation in the regular season. The problem for me is about four years ago, I think the same storyline, championship contender, uh, been to late, late in the playoffs recently, probably not going to prioritize the regular season, Greg Popovich style, you know, play for what you want. 57 and a half, I think, is the number four years ago. Now the market understands what's going on. They understand load management. That's why it's five games lower. It's 52 and a half. So I think everything you're saying is somewhat priced into the number. However, the Bucks are still a very thin team. Lee kind of moved away from a big three, but nobody has more important three players than Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. They signed Bobby Portis to a big deal, so he's going to be part of their future. Other than that, it's a lot of maybes. Brooke Lopez, he's back. He missed almost all of last year. I don't know what to make make of him. Grayson Allen proved unplayable towards the end of the playoffs. They brought in Joe Ingles. He, at different times of his career, looked like a great role player on a playoff team, but he's 35 years old. That's that's the kind of age that most players stop being, unless you're a star, stop being a relevant player in this league. So because of how thin they are, I think even though this number is lower than it would be in years past, I still think it's too high. I still think there's a good chance that uh, one of these three players misses significant time. In fact, Chris Middleton is already, uh, we already know he's not going to be there at the beginning of the year. So let me take that back. I know for a fact Chris Middleton's going to miss games, and I think it's just the beginning of the big three not being there the whole year. All right. Well, that makes me feel good. And you know what else makes me feel good? 
uh, the fact that the central division's over, and then we're going to go ahead and get into the southeast. But before we do that, let me go ahead and give you guys a way to save some money over at pregame.com. Really simple. Go over there, pick up a play, enter code NBA20. That'll let you save 20% on any purchase. You can go ahead and you can put uh, that code NBA20 for MLB playoff package. Maybe you want to go ahead and, and pick up McKenzie's season-long NBA package. You could save 20%, and you know that's big bucks. So go over to pregame.com, pick something up, enter code NBA20, save yourselves a little bit of cash, and hopefully you guys will make some money. So sleep, if I want to save the most amount of money, should I buy a $25 best bet or would I also save 20% if I bought a subscription? You will save 20% on any site purchase. So if it's $25 purchase, you'll save 20% on that. If it's a season long, you'll save 20% on that. Me personally, if I could save 20% on a season long package, let's say, all right, Mackenzie Rivers last season was plus 60 units in the NBA. Um, I would probably put him up against all the handicappers in the industry and say, dude, if I could save 20% on that for the price that he's offering, I'm doing that. I'm not the the, the the single day, single play type of guy. Like I want to know what you're doing every single day because based on you know what you did last year, you could do the math there, Mac. I, I think I'm, I'm taking away a lot of VIG. Yeah, you're saving a lot more money with a subscription package, 20% off. Uh, very well said. And yeah, check me out. Uh, if you want to do a daily package, I'm hoping in each and every write-up that I do that I'm showing you my process, something that I'm interested in, and hopefully you do want to subscribe long term. But with this NBA 20 promo code, you're definitely going to save the most amount of money, whether it's me or Steve Fezzik or my man, Sleepy J. If you're buying a subscription, save the most with 20% off NBA 20. All right. So with all the money savings wrapped up, let's go ahead and let's jump over to our final division. That'll be the Southeast division. So let's start it out here with the Miami Heat. They'll be 18 to one to win the title. Season win total at 49 and a half. I think we all know that this team is going to be good. Can they be great? I don't think so. You know, they haven't shown that as of yet. A few moving pieces that I actually like personally. I like the insertion of Hero into the starting lineup. But I always felt like this team just needed another guy, another big name guy. You know, maybe they make a move during the season and and finally get that done. But 49 and a half to me, it feels dead on. It just seems like more of the same with this team. I could see it actually working maybe more and more throughout the season. But this is a team that I'm just not interested in right now. I feel like you never really have any value with this team in the you know preseason, regular season with this team. It's always just one of those type of teams that I always just feel like I'm always just splitting hairs with it. This team drives me crazy. So it causes me stress, and I don't need any more stress. I'm probably going to have enough stress this entire year with the NBA season, NFL, and all that stuff going on. I'm sure Mac will probably stress me out a little bit as I'm trying to you know coax him into <laughs> agreeing with me, but – Miami, I'm just staying away from. I feel like 49 and a half is dead on. 18 to 1 feels right. And if this team gets another piece, then maybe they're a contender. But right now, it's leave me alone with Miami. PJ Tucker, we talked about we were both bullish on the Sixers. I think he's one of the more underrated players in the league, even at 39 years old. Go back to dunks and threes. He was plus two and a half per game to an average team. That was by far the best on the Heat outside of their big two. It went Butler, Adebayo, P.J. Tucker, then a huge gap before it got to Kyle Lowry, who missed much of the season. He's supposed to be skinny Kyle Lowry. He's supposed to be back. And then Caleb Martin. Even Tyler Hero, sixth man of the year, was about an average player if you talk if you count offense and defense. I don't think the market has appreciated P.J. Tucker to this point, and it just takes one injury. If Butler goes down or Adebayo goes down, I think this goes from a team that was top five on defense last year, minus Tucker, minus Adebayo for an extended period. And I think this is one of the, you know, a bottom half defensive team. And that's their calling card. That's how they're going to win games. So I'm a, this team was first in the East last year. I think this team is going to finish sixth or, or maybe even worse than that. I think this team takes a big step back. Yes, they were one shot away from the finals, but they had, a, they did not look like a championship contender at any point in the playoffs in my eyes. And, uh, Still still see the same thing. They're an overachieving group. Still have overachievers. Still have Butler. Still have Spolstra. I don't think they can do it again. I think they probably go under this number at 49.5. You know what worries me more than anything with this team, Mac? It, it is Jimmy Butler. That if things start to turn slightly south, that he could mentally check out. Like I've always felt like Butler is a guy that can mentally check in, physically check in, 
and mentally check out and physically check out whenever he feels like. And there's really nothing that Miami can do or say to him to make him just completely get right back in the game and, and get back to doing Jimmy Butler type things. He's the one that worries me. And if he's not there for the full season, 100% dialed in, locked in, I wouldn't be surprised if you, if your prediction where this team ends up versus last year you know, turns out to be true. Let's go ahead and make a crazy prediction here. The Orlando Magic are not going to win the title. They're 1,000 to 1 to go ahead and win it. Their season win total is at 27 and a half. I do have something positive, though, for this team. I feel whatever their plan is right now, it's it's actually working rather well. Another bad year, another high draft pick. It just sounds like something easy for this Orlando Magic team to achieve. Another bad year. But I think this is going to end up being a wise guy, darling team. Maybe not next season, Mac, but certainly the year after. I, th- I think the wise guys are going to love this Magic team. I'm calling it right now. I don't want anything to do with this team. They're going to be bad. I think they're they're going all in for draft. I don't know anything real positive except that the future is probably going to be bright. That that's all I have to say about Orlando. What do you think? Am I do you think I'm on the right track with this team or no? It's funny because I don't want to start all my responses with I tend to agree with you, but I surely tend to agree with you with this Magic team and the fact I think they're going to take a step back and I think it's the right choice. This has been one of the worst offenses relative to league average we've ever seen the last two years. That's why when they came to the number one pick in the draft, they went the most offensive ready option right now, which was not Chet Holmgren, was not Jabari Smith, was Paolo Bancaro, rookie of the year favorite. Okay, they're going to hand him the keys and they should. They need a guy to beat average NBA offenses. They haven't had that guy, but I'm not trusting him to do that with any kind of effectiveness right away. Rookies, like I said, rarely are better than average or rarely additive to a team. A rookie that's doing everything, unlikely to be uh, competitive in most games, in my opinion. And I think, look at the market. This was 22-win team last year. They were expected to win 22 and a half games. They won 22, dead on. Now they're five and a half games better. Why? Like, why are they better? Markel Fultz is already injured. Wendell Carter Jr. has not made the leap that everyone every year seems to predict that he will. And they're again, they're led by a rookie in Paolo Bancaro. This is a best bet for me. Under 27 and a half. I don't see how they're better. I see their long-term vision. I agree with you. I think the Sharps are going to you know, ride that ride once they start getting good and becoming a competitive team again. I think we're a year away from that. So I'm under 27 and a half on the Magic. All right, that makes me feel pretty good. And one thing I think that's probably a clear indicator that this team is probably the worst team is because they're the worst team in that division. They won three games last year against their division. Like that, that's got to raise a red flag. All right, with the Magic wrapped up, let's go ahead. Let's jump over to probably another exciting team here, and that's going to be the Atlanta Hawks. 50 to 1 to win the title, 46 and a half for a season win total. I'm excited to see what this Trey Young, Devontae Murray combo looks like on the floor. But this team's going to be without Herter. It's going to be without DeLon Wright, without Gallinari. I think it might take some time for them to figure out their rotations. I would be neutral on 46 and a half, probably lean under slightly but I'd actually be more inclined to probably fade this team early in hopes that, you know, that maybe they're just a bit out of sorts. And I think the market McKenzie will probably be excited for the beginning of the year, just because it's Murray young combo. And maybe I can go ahead and catch some value with the lines early on in the season with the Hawks. So I'm probably going to look to fade this team early, but I am excited to see what Trey young and Murray look like. I think it's going to be a pretty interesting combo. Much like Rudy Gobert covers up all of Carl Anthony Towns' biggest weaknesses, Trey Young may be the worst defensive guard we've ever seen in the league that deserves playing time because he's so good offensively. And DeJounte Murray's probably the best defensive guard. Every single time I bet on the Spurs last year, I think it was three or four times, my handicap was this point guard can't handle the pressure DeJounte Murray's going to bring at him. And I think I went like two or one or three and one. I was successful on my Spurs picks. Now you bring that same energy over to the Hawks. I think it works. Uh, I'm more bullish on this team. I think they. I would lean over, not a best bet for me, uh, because they are top-heavy. One injury would devastate them. But this was a team that probably should have won more like 45 games last year. They were a team, the Bulls outperformed their scoring margin, where they should have been 41 and 41, but they won 46 games. The Hawks were the opposite. They were much better statistically by the metrics than their record ended up being, ended up being the eighth seed. Uh, so I'm I'm a little more bullish on the Hawks. I do. Yeah, I'm with you. I want to see this pairing. I think it could be something special. They could be the best backcourt in the league because they cover up each other's weaknesses so well. 
All right. Well, we'll see how that team's going to pan out. I think it's going to take them a little bit, but that's that's certainly a backward I'm looking forward to going and watching. Let's go ahead and talk about the Washington Wizards, 300 to 1, and their season win total 35 and a half. McKenzie, I went ahead. I bet this team to win the title. I think they were they were like 400 to 1 because I felt like there was a chance when all that whole KD and Kyrie stuff was going on. I'm like, man, I'm like, what would this team look like with Kevin Durant on it? So I went ahead, I bet it, and it dropped down to like, I think it was 240 to one, somewhere like that. So I ended up cashing that ticket. I'm like, that's not happening, KD staying, whatever. So I got my money back. Surprisingly, I got all my money back for that ticket. But 300 to one for the Wizards. I let me rattle off their starting lineup. Tell me what you know how how it makes you feel. Monte Morris, Bradley Beal, Will Barton, Kyle Kuzma, Chris Saps, Porzingis, and then the second wave. I feel like there's some decent players here with Gafford, Hachimura, and DeLon Wright. I mean, there's seven players that are good quality NBA players that I don't mind this team, believe it or not. I don't want to play them over. I don't want to play them under. But what I do want to do is I probably want to bet on this team because I feel like this is a team that's going to be looked at when maybe they're playing somebody like, let's just say, the Heat and they're catching seven and a half points, or, or the Bucks, and they're catching eight and a half. I could see this team having a really good ATS margin this year because I feel like if they can get this group of players to play together, they could be tough to beat on any given night because I feel like as a team, they have the rebounding covered, they got the glass covered, they have the assist covered, they have scoring covered, uh, probably a pretty good free throw shooting team, maybe a decent outside shooting team. Defensively, I think there are question marks there. But I'm not super concerned about that overall. But there's a team I'm looking to bet on, Mac. Not sure if you support that or if you're against it. But I do like the roster that I see in front of me right now with Washington. That's where I'm at with them. I won't make a bet on them, but that's where I'm at. I think there's some value here on the Wizards only because of their uh, disrespected top two players, in my opinion. Brad Beal, never really been on a winner, never really had the opportunity to. I think he was more of a winning player when John Wall was at his prime and they were in the playoffs every year uh, than he got credit for. Kristaps Borzingis, even more so, was written off last year, and I don't understand it. I was, uh, I thought Kristaps Borzingis, when everyone was glowing over his defense and his offense in New York and what he could do, I'm like, okay, he's, he's a good center. He's a top 50 player in the league. I'm not uh, crazy about him, though. Then he got traded to the Mavericks, and the hype train got geared up again. This is going to be the perfect fit. He can shoot. He can guard the rim. He can play off Luka, and it didn't really work. Not that his stats were bad. They were actually pretty much the same as they were in New York, but the team was moving in a different direction. They wanted to go uh, more athletic. They didn't want to post him up. They wanted to go in a different direction. So they trade him for Spencer Dinwiddie. The rest of the media sells all the Porzingis stock. Every single dollar of Porzingis stock was sold, shorted. They they got rid of all the hype was, was turned around. ESPN.com top 100 list ranks him as the 90th best player. This guy was top 30 last year. What happened? CBS, 85th best player. I haven't downgraded Porzingis at all. The the stats don't back up a major downgrade. So me, I have him 46th, very similar to what I had him last year. NBA 2K, shout out to them. Their lists are often more accurate than the media. They have him as the 37th best player. That is the range we're talking about here. Just because you don't work with Luka doesn't mean you're a bad player. That's what the media wants you to believe. That It's probably easier to write that story other than having to carry about the Wizards. But that's why I think the market is taking their cue from the media, which is not always the case, but I think in this case, the Wizards are being a little disrespected here. Beal and Porzingis are better than they're getting credit for. Wait, how mad are you going to be if they win the title, though? If they somehow pull it out, you're going to be like, you know, I, I have 400 to 1, or I had 400 to 1. I mean, you're going to be a little mad, right? I will be mad, but I'll tell you what I'll do <laughs> is I'll go back I'll get the audio from this podcast and I'll play it every day just to say, <laughs> I tried to, I, I told you so, like I had this ticket, you know, like I'll, I'll be that guy. I will certainly be, I'll be that guy. All right. So with all that out of the way, let's jump into our last team here. And that'll be the Charlotte Hornets, 200 to one on this team. And their season win total is at 36 and a half. Mac, I'll let you have the floor with Charlotte. How you feeling? Hey, by the way, did you see Michael Jordan smack monk in the back of the head? <laughs> I did. I did. That was a that was a that was a nice wallop out of the goat. Uh here's how I think about the Hornets. It didn't make any sense when LaBella Ball was supposed to miss a couple weeks for their win total to go from 36 and a half 
to 33 and a half, unless you understand the subtext, which I kind of anticipated. Hornets are in no man's land. They have a coach that they had a couple years ago that they had to bring in because the new coach, the new direction they wanted to go in, left him at the altar. Kenny Atkinson had accepted the job, visited Charlotte, visited with Jordan and his cronies, who's, who were kidding. Uh, you know, everyone says it. It's a very insular organization. Met with them and said, I don't really want to be part of this club. So they said, okay, well, if you're not going to be part of this club, let's take out an old club member, someone that's already in the inside. And that kind of incestuous mentality is, I think, defining this Hornets team where they're not really going anywhere and they kind of are a boys club that uh, prioritizes loyalty over success. So what am I talking about here? LaMelo Ball goes down. The win total goes from 36.5 to 33.5. That tells me, not that LaMelo Ball is going to miss the majority of the season, but the market is catching on to this team is a sell team. It's a punt to next season team. It's a season. It's a team with no incentive or motivation or momentum to have success this year. Could only look under. That said, we probably missed out on the best number. This was 38.5, then it was 36.5. Now it's 33.5. I did give out. If you're listening to straight out of Vegas AM, check that out. Hornets under 36 and a half, but now the number's gone. Can't recommend it at this new number. All right. Well, my apologies on that for giving out a bad number. So we're at 33 and a half now, Mac? Yes. Some 34 is 33 and a half consensus. All right, cool. Well, I mean, this team kind of reminds me of like that Toronto team where they look good on paper and they'll probably play half decent together. But at some point I could see this team having, you know, maybe a fire sale like Kelly Oubre right. ends up on you know, the Pacers somehow and Terry Rozier ends up back in Boston because somebody got hurt. Just something crazy. I don't know. I could just see this team selling off, but uh, it'll be interesting. And that's it, guys. That's it for the Eastern Conference. So you got the Eastern Conference preview. You got the Western Conference preview. But you guys on Monday night, you're going to get me and Mackenzie talking NBA season tip off. We're going to go ahead. We're going to cover the two games. We'll go ahead and we'll give you guys our team total prop of the year and our division prop of the year. You do not want to miss that podcast. Mackenzie and I are coming out with winners. We're giving you player props. We're giving you everything that you guys need to start out the NBA season on a winning foot. Mackenzie, if you got anything to wrap up this podcast, feel free. You got 10 seconds. We're coming out hot. That's all I'm going to say. We are intending to start off hot. Can't wait for this slate coming up on Tuesday. I'm going to have to play that drop, you know, like where you see it on Instagram. Coming in hot. Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming in hot. All right, guys. Well, that'll wrap up the podcast. You know where to find Mackenzie and I on Twitter at SuperJ underscore pregame at Mac and Rivers. You guys could always get us on the best sports betting website on the web, and that's pregame.com. Make sure you guys like, subscribe to the podcast. This has been the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy the games. Uh-huh.